glorious day. And join me in the word of prayer at this time. And gracious Heavenly Father, what a joy and what a privilege it is to be a part of a baptismal service. Because Lord, it, it reminds us that we're saved not by works of righteousness that we've done, but according to your mercy you have saved us. And it's an amazing grace that when we behold the Lord Jesus, he is filled grace upon grace. And he has given that so freely to those who would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And so for, for Hallie and for Max today, as they follow you publicly in their confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through baptism, I pray you bless this moment. Bless it with your presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallie? Hallie's one of our teenagers. And uh, some time ago, she had trusted Christ as her Lord and Savior. And uh, she has come to the place she is ready to confess Him through believer's baptism. And so, Hallie, have you trusted Christ and Him alone to save you? Okay. In obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and on your public profession of faith in Him, I baptize you, my younger sister, in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism unto death, and raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. And her brother Max is coming. And his conversion has been more recent. And uh, in talking with him and his sister and mom and dad, uh, Max, have you trusted Christ and him alone to be your personal Savior? Is this your public confession of faith in him? Okay. In obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and on your profession of faith in him, I baptize you, my younger brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism unto death, and raised to walk in newness of life. <laughs> Matthew's going to be coming and uh, giving you a welcome, and as he's coming, today I'm going to be preaching uh, about baptism uh, in two different ways, but part of it is... Uh, they have been baptized in a new name, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to share a story with you a little bit later to help you understand that, okay? Well, welcome everybody. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here. It's a great privilege to join together in worship to, of the Lord and, and be able to also witness uh, these two who have come in, uh, in believer's baptism, professing faith in Christ. And so, welcome. If you're a guest, uh, in front of you there should be a card that says communication card. If you would, just grab that, fill that out. We'd, we'd love to have a record of you being with us this morning. And if you could, just drop that, at, that in the offering basket on your, on your way out this morning. We'd love to be able to reach out to you this week, pray for you, see if there's anything we can do for you. And would love that opportunity. So, uh, by way of announcements, want to remind you that as Christmas approaches, uh, shoebox season is here. And so, uh, those boxes are in the back to support uh, Operation Christmas Child and collect uh, some toys and different necessities that will then be distributed across the globe. And so, uh, as a reminder, it is, a, it is an opportunity to open a door for the local church. Uh, the local church and other places in the world that do not have the resources uh, necessarily, uh, that it allows them to be able to reach their community in, uh, by, by offering these free gifts. And so uh, it is a gospel opportunity to be able to reach out and to allow local churches across the globe uh, to, have a, to have an opportunity to share Christ. And so uh, I want to encourage you to grab a box and maybe... Use that as an opportunity uh, to, to serve and to share uh, through, through a shoebox. 
And also, I want to ask you to continue as this is our second to last Sunday of October, but uh, as we are reciting and memorizing a verse, if you would follow with me again, let's, uh, let's look at Romans 3, 23 and 24, and we'll finish talking about it this week and then uh, read, it, read it through one more time next week. So if you would just follow with me, let's, let's read it out loud. Uh, we'll do it twice. And then we'll talk about the little, the last part of it. All right, ready? Fantastic. So here we go. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans three twenty-three to 24. One more time. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans three twenty-three and 24. So, as, as we have talked that this, the first verse being a pronouncement upon us all, that the truth that we are born into a situation and we volitionally we volitionally walk in it, that we all have sinned, that we have all missed the mark that God has set for us as his bearers of his image and according to his moral expectation. But because of his goodness and his grace, because of his great mercy, he offers that we can be made right, justified, to be stand before God, the judge, right, that our sin is paid for, atoned for. And that has taken a sacrifice through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, through the buying back. Jesus, the the person, the word became flesh. The son came and took humanity upon himself at a singular point in history. God took upon him a body and a soul just like you and just like I. And he walked the earth. And he physically gave his life on a cross. Jesus Christ gave himself in your place to pay your debt. That there is the beginning, it's universal, all have sinned. But the payment of that sin cost the Son of God, him giving his life on the cross, so that anyone who would come to him, the redemption is not universal. We must come to him. We must recognize what he says and turn from our sin and our selfishness to trust in what he has done, that this is true of you, that this is effective for you, that in him, through him, there is redemption. There is a per- the purchase price has been paid that your sins can be atoned for, can be covered, can be forgiven. Jesus gave his life for you. I hope you trust in him. I hope you know him as your Savior. So let's continue in worship. Let's stand together as we continue in worship.
indeed is good and he is uh, good to you because if you've been marked by his grace uh, you've been uh, born again of the spirit of God you're his and uh, that makes you uh, special and uh, apart from that you and I don't really get to experience the true goodness of God and uh, so as I was trying to remind uh, uh, a brother and sister this morning who were baptized <clears throat> because they are brothers and sisters in Christ they're supposed to be good to one another as well okay <laughs> there was absolutely no fussing up there about who was going first do you believe that <laughs> no, I'm kidding uh, glad you're here today. Uh, we're, we're talking about the church being a living body of believers and uh, what it means to be that. And we've been looking at several different aspects of what that means. And today I've titled the message that you are wanted, dead, 
and alive. Okay, it's a little take on that, wanted, alive or dead. And what God wants out of his children is we both experience what it is to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn to the book of Romans. Uh, It's a book we studied some years ago. I think it took us years to study it too, didn't it? Uh, It's quite a lengthy book, but uh, chapter 6, I want to begin reading in verse 1 and read down through verse 8. So what shall we say then? The question is, back in chapter 5, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. So what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? (laughs) By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, to Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. And here's the reason. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if, and the idea is we have, if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Again, purpose. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, in order that so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And now if we have died, and the idea here is we have through Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And before we have a word of prayer over this, I want to remind you that uh, Pastor Matthew will be leaving on the 28th to go to Taiwan. Uh, So he won't be here next Sunday. And he'll be gone a month and come back with Sophie. And uh, we want to be in prayer for them uh, as they travel. Uh, He will be quarantining quite a bit uh, while he's over there and when uh, they return. So uh, let's, as we pray over this scripture, let's also pray over uh, Matthew and Sophie as well. So Father, we do want to thank you for the life change that saving grace through Christ our Lord brings. Even to the point that someone, Matthew and Tara, Mary Alice and Lucy, are going to have a, a new sister. And uh, it's, it's Lucy's sister biologically, but a new sister and it's one that is an example of what it means to be dead to ourselves but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I pray that uh, your hand be with him as he travels and then Lord as you bring the two of them back to be among us help us to be a warm and welcoming family of faith to him and to his family and uh, to welcome Sophie And Father, we just pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I I know over the last uh, few weeks we've been reminded that decisions that we make have dire consequences. Choices that we make. you and I can't help but look at the news just recently and and see that uh, in a filming of a movie uh, it was expressed to Alec Baldwin that the gun that he was given to his, in hand was not loaded uh, it was declared unloaded to him and yet a mistake was made and it cost a life and uh, what we don't want to do is and what I don't want to do as a pastor is, is make assumptions for you that you are trusting in something that is not true and is not the eternal word of God. I I think what I do and I think what we do as Christians in sharing the gospel 
has greater consequences than the scalpel of a neurosurgeon. I'm going to say that again because I don't know that you believe that. Okay? Think about it for a minute. We're talking about eternal consequences when we're sharing the gospel. What if I'm right? Great. What if I'm wrong? And you see, we have to make sure that our understanding of spiritual truth comes out of what God says and not what I think, not just man's best thinking. And so there are eternal consequences to this. So I kind of want to revisit this idea of baptism because it's misunderstood, it's misused, it's abused. And, and I think in so many ways uh, we miss out on maybe a, um, a longer aspect of what baptism implies because we tend to think in terms of, well, I have been baptized and it's a one-time event and it is, and yet it's not. So uh, let's look at the scripture and see if we can explain uh, a little bit of what that means. Now, I'm going to try and answer four questions for you today. So the four questions are, how can I be held guilty for Adam's sin? Now, how, what does this have to do with baptism? Well, we're talking about a, a, an immersion into Christ. So uh, I'm in Adam. Everyone who is in Adam, the scripture says, dies. But everyone who is in Christ shall be made alive. So how can I be guilty for Adam's sin? Then secondly, how can my own guilt for sin then be forgiven? Third question, what happens when I am baptized? Did you just get wet? You know, what is it? What does it really mean and then lastly, we'll look at how does baptism affect the way that I live. So the first question. Uh, and it really is a, it's a puzzling question for all of humanity. Because when you teach original sin, and what we mean by original sin is that because of Adam's transgression, every one of us are sinners. And there are, I would say, there are more than half of the world's population. Uh, probably three-quarters of the world's population does not believe that, all right? Now, we hold to that as Christians because the Scripture teaches us that. And uh, the objection is, how can I be held responsible for what somebody else has done? And I mentioned the verse in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-two: For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Uh, back here again, uh, just preceding the verses I read in Romans chapter 5. Uh, let me begin reading in verse 12 where it says, Therefore, just as sin came in the world through one man, so that's the declaration of God and his word, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. There's the consequences. One man made a choice. All of us suffer a consequence that, of that because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Now Paul's writing this because he's making an argument. There's an argument to be made. If you don't know that you're doing wrong, have you really done wrong? If, you, if you've not been, been given a list of rules, how do you know if you've broken the rules? But the argument here is that even though the law had not yet been, been given, when Cain kills his brother Abel, is it right or is it wrong? Well, it's wrong. There was no law that had been given by God. There was no Ten Commandments that had yet been given. And yet... Cain kills his brother. He's warned by God that sin is crouching at the door. Picture of a tiger. By the way, I couldn't, I, it's terrible for anybody to die. I know that. And maybe I've got a sick sense of humor. But I, just, I read the, just this morning that uh, there was a poacher in South Africa that was trying to kill an elephant. And guess what? The elephant got him. <laughs> and then he was eaten by a tiger. Uh, <laughs> some, some poetic justice there, okay? <laughs> but listen, the point is, the consequences of sin is, it's a spiritual death, but it's also the fact that we die. 
And you know, we've been affected by COVID. We've had church members that have passed away. We've had family members that have passed away. We've had friends that have passed away because of COVID. And yet we still do not have the reality that we're all going to die. It's something that we don't think about. And who wants to think about it? It's something that we continually put off to our subconsciousness. And yet the reality is it's going to happen. It, it could be today for any of us. It could be tomorrow. And uh, the scripture says here, because sin came into the world even though there was no law given, there was still breaking of the commandment of God because we were in Adam. He was our representative. Hmm. Now, I've been sharing the gospel now for a little over 50 years. And I've had a lot of people object at that point. I've had a lot of people say to me, this, is, this just isn't fair. That one man could choose to do wrong and then the consequences be to all the rest of us. Well, you know, we know what DNA is like and you inherit a lot of things by way of DNA, don't you? And uh, good luck at going back and getting upset with great-grandma or great-grandpa because you inherited something that you don't like about yourself or a disease that you carry because of, of that. We understand what it is to suffer consequences for maybe things that are before us but the scripture teaches us a representative idea of sin that Adam was our representative he had the choice didn't he the the slate was clean there was nothing that was motivating him positively or negatively with the exception of God the Father saying don't eat and Satan saying, go ahead and eat it. You won't die. And that's the struggle that we still kind of feel today. But we suffer the consequences in that we inherit a bent and nature toward sin. So much so that even in the New Testament, it says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. In other words, if we wanted to rightly do all the right things, there's just something in our existence in our very core of our being where we rebel we choose to do wrongly in all of that arguments that I've had over the years I've never had one person argue it's not fair for people to be saved through one man's righteousness okay never has anybody ever complained well it's not fair that Christ could die for our sin you know, I must die for my sin. I want the right to die for my own sin. And you and I would look at that as believers and say, that's, that's really foolishness to think that way. And it is. And so there's an understanding that I think you and I need to have, and, and that is that we have inherited a nature that is against God. It's in rebellion against God. The good that I would do, I don't do. That which I should do, as Paul argues in the 7th chapter of Romans, I find myself not doing. Does that mean I'm not capable of doing good things apart from Christ? And the answer is yes. We do altruistic things. We do helpful things. Uh, uh, we do a lot of things that are good. But we're controlled by a nature that is our sin nature. The scripture tells us we all have chosen for ourselves every day of our lives to do what? To sin. To sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Earlier in that chapter in Romans 3 it says there is none who does good that is good in comparison with God and his goodness that we sang about a moment ago. There's no one who does good, not even one. There's nothing that I can bring before God that says this merits my entrance into your perfect kingdom. Everything that I put before him, even the good, is less than. 
Okay? It is tainted by sin. It is controlled by sin. And so we have a problem. So the question is, is it fair? And I would suggest to you that it is fair. God made it that way on purpose because you and I, through faith alone in Christ alone, by His grace, get to enter into that other one man's righteousness. Does that make sense? What He did, what Christ did for you, you get to enter into. It becomes yours by faith alone in Christ alone. So that you become the righteousness of God in Him. That means when you've had the mark of God's grace put upon you. You've been saved, born again, renewed by the Holy Spirit of God. When the Father looks at you, what does He see? He sees the righteousness of His Son. Now, I don't know what your daily walk is like, but I know what mine is. The other day, I had a selfish moment. I know that might surprise you. And when I say I had a selfish moment, I had a selfish day. I don't know if you've ever had a selfish day before in your life, but I did the other day. I was having a pity party. And I, as I've told you before, when I have pity parties, I do them upright. I go to the store, I get the party hat, the little <laughs> favor, balloons. We just, you know, if you're going to have a pity party, do it upright. And the tragedy of that is, it's really shaking my fist in the face of a loving God. But the good news is that in Jesus Christ, there is grace and forgiveness of sin. Apart from Him, we're under the dominion of our sin nature. And that's what the text is teaching us here, okay? So it's real simple. So the second question is then, how can my own guilt for sin be forgiven? Well, again, back in chapter 5, let me pick up in verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. Who's that man? That's Adam. The free gift, by the way, it's the word grace in the original text of Scripture. Okay? It's the result of grace. It's this free gift of grace that God offers to the one who would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. It's not like that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But oh, and I want you to see God just, man, he's giving us a, a hyperbolic response. I mean, oh, over the top the other way. He says, but the free gift following many uh, trespasses brought justification. Now, what's that word justification mean? Righteousness. We, we have popularly said, just as if I'd never sinned. God then, through his grace, can look at you and me through his son's grace and what Christ accomplished on the cross, and it totally not only negates but washes away everything that we've inherited from Adam and everything that we have done that is contrary to the will of God. Now, do you think that's fair? It's really not fair. You know what it is? Grace. It's grace. You know, we're living in a time when everybody seems to want justice. And I know I've said this so many times over my years of preaching. You really do not want justice. You don't want it. Justice means I deserve a sinner's hell. I want grace. The grace that comes. The justice has been satisfied on the cross of Calvary. That justification took place there 2,000 years ago. And you and I, who were in Adam through faith, can be in Christ. And His righteousness is our righteousness. His cleansing becomes our cleansing. Uh, verse 18 of chapter 5 says, Therefore, just as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so the act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. 
For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience they will be made righteous. So that is the good news. That is the gospel. That is what we proclaim. It's essential that the, the scalpel of the gospel that you and I wield has that truth at its very core. Salvation is not by works of righteousness that we have done. Now tonight, as a church, we're going to come back together and we're going to have a fellowship meal together this evening and uh, looking forward to that time. Next Sunday night, I know it's Halloween, we're going to celebrate All Saints Day. Okay? (laughs) And so next Sunday night, we're going to have a special praise and worship service and I'm going to read you some words from Martin Luther who, you know, in 1517 uh, nailed uh, some questions some complaints against the doctrine of works versus grace on that chapel uh, door in Wittenberg, Germany. And uh, it, was, it was Martin Luther who said, we cannot go back to works. You see, the church was teaching. It's by the merits of what we do that it earns us grace and favor. And the scripture is so clear, for by grace are you saved through faith. And it is not of yourselves. It is this free gift. It is the gift of God, not of works or we would boast about it. So, question number three. Then, what happens when I am baptized? Well, you just saw baptism. And uh, the word baptize is actually just brought over from Greek and put in English, okay? So it doesn't give you the meaning, but it, its meaning in Greek means to, to submerge, to put under. Uh, in, the, in the 3rd century A.D., we have a story that was written. It tells about a soldier baptizing another soldier in the river during a battle, Well, the one that he baptized didn't come out alive. He died. He drowned him. That was the word that was used. So, you know, that's why we as Baptists say, no, it needs to be water. It needs to be immersion. Because of the picture that it gives. Other modes of baptism do not paint the picture of what baptism is portrayed in the New Testament. And what is that baptism? It is a death and a resurrection. Notice again what it says there in chapter 6. It says, are we to continue in uh, sin so grace may abound? And the response is real clear. No, how can we who did what? Died to sin live in it any longer. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Would you honestly say you feel like you've died to sin? (laughs) and I say no I say no I don't feel like that you know if we're going to go by how we feel I do not feel like I have died to sin and why is that because sin as I told you the other day I had what kind of day a very selfish day a self-centered day and uh if I've died to it if I'm dead to that then how can I have then a, a selfish day? How can I have an angry moment? How can I, uh, how can I uh, think hurtful things toward somebody or unkind things toward somebody else if I am indeed dead to sin? So what does this mean? Well, let's continue. Do you not know, verse 3 says, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now, some things happen when you go through the waters of baptism. Number one, it's, uh, it's painting a picture of what you believe, right? You believe the gospel, and the gospel is Christ died for our sins, was buried, and three days later rose again from the dead. So it's a picture of the gospel that you and I hold to. 
It, it is a picture of the washing away of our sin. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you were to convert from a, another religion to Judaism in the Old Testament, you were baptized. It was a picture of washing away of all the old so that new came. I, uh, I've shared with you years ago about an architect that we hired at a church where I was pastoring, and he was a part of a denomination that believed that uh, the waters of baptism literally washed away your sin. He called me aside uh, during the uh, meeting we were having, and he says, I want to ask you a question. I've never asked my pastor this, but what do you do with the water after you baptize? And I said, what? I said, we flush it down the drain. He said, well, we're all, where do all the sins go? And I said, hurts, do what? He said, yeah, because those waters wash away your sin. And I'm, oh, no, 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 they're a picture <laughs> that, our wa- that our sins are washed away in the waters of baptism. And uh, we had a theology class right there with an architect, okay? Uh, we can become mistaken and think that that, especially if we're children and we see other children getting baptized, we can come to think, well, I'll have security to know I'm going to heaven if I get baptized. And No, that's a picture. It's a picture of the washing away of sin. It's the gospel that we believe in, of the washing away of our sin. It's also a naming ceremony. It's a naming ceremony because when we baptize, we're instructed to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a time in which we are declaring that we are no longer our own, but we are His. Book of Revelation tells us we have a new name that is written down in heaven. I don't know what my new name is. You don't either. But let me illustrate. This is what I was talking about. I was at a preaching conference over in Mobile about eight years ago. And and while I was there, I ran into a man. I was having lunch across the table from him. And uh, he was from China. And I asked him what his name was. And he said, my name is Timothy. And I said, were you born? I could tell by his uh, brogue that he was probably not born in the United States. I said, were you born in the United States? He said, oh, no, I was born in China. I said, well, what's your Chinese name? He said, I no longer go by my Chinese name. And I said, why not? He said, Timothy is the Christian name that I chose when I was baptized. He said, that old man is gone. He's dead. I am now a new person in Jesus Christ. And you're to call me by thy New Testament name, Timothy. I thought, great. That's pretty good. It went further. He was a Ph.D. student at the University of South Alabama. And he was getting his doctorate. And he said to me, I I plan to go to Japan. He said, I'm learning Japanese and I'm fluent in Japanese now and he said I'm going to Japan because in the Japanese culture there's about a two-year window of opportunity when young men in particular uh, are open to other ideas during their collegiate training and he said God has put it on my heart a deep and an abiding love for collegiate males in Japan and I'm going back as a missionary to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. That's a transformed man. That's a man who is now new in Jesus Christ. He knows that sure he's got a job. He's got a he's got a degree, an occupation, he's going to do what he did, but his purpose in living is ultimately to share the good news of Jesus Christ with Someone. And you see, that's what it means to be new in Christ Jesus. So that is what happens to us. We are made to be new creations in Christ Jesus. We are no longer what we once were, and the waters of baptism picture that. And you and I need to take ownership of that. And the idea behind that is... So I am in union with Christ in his death. 
And I am also in union with Christ in his life. The scripture goes on to teach us here that we are no longer under the dominion of sin. So the last question is, so how does baptism affect the way that I live? Verse 6 says, we know that our old self was crucified in union with Christ. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now wait a minute. It didn't say we won't struggle with sin, did it? It doesn't say we won't ever sin again. But what does it say? It says we as believers in Christ aren't under its dominion. We're not under its power. We don't do by nature sin. We do by grace works of righteousness that he has laid out beforehand that we should walk in them. So, and he tells us very clearly that we're, we're not talking about sinless perfection here when we're talking about being dead to sin but alive to Christ. Notice what he says uh, in verse 11. So you must consider yourself dead to sin. <laughs> it's an accounting term. Uh, you've got credits on one side, debits on the other side. You've got to put it to your account. How do we do that? By faith. You know what? When you wake up tomorrow morning and look in the mirror, you're going to be the same person that you looked at this morning. Nothing's going to change dramatically. You're not going to be a new improved you because you came to church on Sunday. Okay? But what will be available to you is His grace and His righteousness by faith. So that as a believer in Christ, one marked by him, called to be his child, born again of the Spirit of God, you have his grace on you so that you are no longer enslaved to sin. That means every time we sin, it's a choice. And let's not get away from that. Well, I don't know why I did what I did. I don't know why I said what I said. Yes, I do. I chose to. I chose to do that. Now I realize some things are just abrupt. You just happen. You react. You respond. But we make choices. And what Christ is saying, I have set you free from that so that you might walk in life under the power of Christ. So verse 12 says, Therefore don't let sin reign in your mortal body. To make you obedient to its passions and stop presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness. But every day, every moment, every time you begin to see yourself drifting away from your uh, walk with Christ, what does he say? Verse 13, present yourselves to God as those that have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments of righteousness. And the reason is because sin no longer is to have dominion over you. But grace. You're under grace. Now I'll ask you, are you in Christ? Have you been born again? Have you been saved? Have you come to bow, yeah, maybe the knee of your body, but the knee of your will? To a Christ who's calling you to salvation and say, oh, yes to your grace. Yes to the grace of Jesus Christ. I want to be yours now and for all eternity. No longer my will, but your will be done in my life. And Christ, by his saving grace, will redeem you and make you to be no longer in Adam. So that you're not a son or a daughter of Adam, but now you're a son or a daughter of Christ. And that you and I get the privilege to yield our lives to his lordship and experience his grace, the fullness of his spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the gentleness, the kindness that is promised to us through a, a walk of faith in Jesus Christ. You know, Paul wasn't perfect. 
Do you remember Paul and Barnabas got into a spat with one another? You remember that? Sure. They kind of got, they were like brothers and they got in a spat with one another. And they struggled through that. But you know what? Christ brought them through that spat and brought grace. And he redeemed it. And we see two missionary teams instead of one missionary team. But you and I have to remember that when we go through the list of saints in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, and we look at, my wife brought up to me the other day, she said, why is Samson in the list? I mean, think about Samson, okay? Samson didn't seem to do what was right until when? The very end of his life. You remember Jesus said, I, I called some at 6 o'clock in the morning to work. I called some at 9 o'clock in the morning to work. I called some at noon, some at 3, and 5 o'clock, one hour before quitting time. And the people that were called at 6 o'clock in the morning saw the one that called at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. They got mad because they all got paid the same wage. It's a picture of salvation. Now listen, don't misinterpret that to say, well, I'm going to wait till 5 o'clock. <laughs> I'm going to get the same pay. The hardening of the heart. The saying no to the grace of God forbids us from doing that. When Christ calls, we respond. The question is, is Christ calling you today? If he's calling you to be his child today, then the answer ought to be what? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I come. I come to you. As a child of God, are you a baptized person? Are you a person that you understand that you died to an old life and you've been raised to walk in newness of life so that there really is no excuse for our sin? And that when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father and it's Jesus Christ the righteous. And I have to come to him. And his cleansing is available by grace. So, I'm going to ask, is the mark of grace, are you alive to Christ or are you dead to sin? That's what makes the living church of Jesus Christ work. Let's pray together. Father, we, we come to a moment to respond to really a complex idea and a complex uh, concept that uh, Adam was our representative and yet we live it out day by day because we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God there's not an exception on the planet of anyone who has not broken your commands and so we are all guilty and in need of a savior but oh thank you that there is the greater man there is the man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who took our place, paid our debt, died our death, lived our life, and that we become His through a union of faith with Him that's expressed through water baptism, but it's really a spiritual baptism of being immersed into Christ Jesus so that I can say for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain so that we can say together I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet it is not I but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live in this flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Matthew and I will be down.